losses. Good losses. I feel bad for Joshua because in the text that we are studying this morning, he has just now, at a late stage of his life, become a new leader. And it's hard when you have to do new things at an advanced age. It's hard when you're 40, 50, 60, and you have to embark on something brand new. Joshua is, he's not a young man, but he's very young in leadership. He's always been behind Moses, and now that Moses has passed away, he finds himself in charge leading the people of God, and although he is not inexperienced as a man, he is inexperienced as a leader. And leadership is grunt work. Leadership is brutal. Leadership will chew you up and spit you out because it's true for Joshua. It's true in many times in corporations. It's true in families. For, for leadership, there really is no class to prepare you because often what they teach you in theory does not apply in the field and often for leaders, you have to learn as you go. And it's embarrassing for everybody to watch you learn while you're leading them. And so Joshua takes control and he's leading the people. And his first task is he's got to get this large group of people across a body of water. And similar to his predecessor, Moses, he had to get all the people across a, a big body of water. And Joshua had took Moses' class, you know. He had heard about it all of his life. He, the people had remembered it all of their lives and all of their days. They talked about how Moses stretched forth his rod and God parted the Red Sea and all the people walked over on dry shod. It didn't just say they walked over. They, they walked over without getting their feet wet. And the people would play up this detail. We, we walked over and we didn't even get mud on our shoes. That's how awesome God and Moses, what a team, what a dynamic duo. You know, Joshua heard that all of his life. Wow, he says, I'm the leader now. We got to get across the Jordan River to walk into our promised land. So he goes up to the bank of the Jordan and he, he takes out Moses' playbook and he tries to run the same play and he, he stretches out the rod and nothing happens because yesterday's faith will not produce today's miracle. And God never promised that he would do it the next time like he did it the last time. God's character does not change, but his methods often do. And so Joshua has to seek the Lord, and, and what he feels is, is to just tell the priests to get the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and walk out into the middle of the Jordan. And, and when they got knee-deep with their feet wet, then the Jordan parted. Some things don't work until you walk out into the middle of it and are willing to get your feet wet. And if you, if you hold off on pursuing promises from God, 
but because you don't want to get your feet wet because the generation before you, they didn't have to get their feet wet. But, but you may have to get into some things that your grandmother didn't get, have to get into. You may have to go through some things that your parents didn't have to go through. You may have to go through some things that your pastor didn't have to go through. But the principle remains the same. God will move for you if you're sensitive to what he's saying now. Faith is always now. Faith is always now. And so they go across the Jordan, and it's powerful, and they approach Jericho, and Jericho's that, that last final barrier, those big impenetrable walls, the last final barrier to them taking hold of what God had promised them that they had been searching for and laboring towards for years. There's always a barrier. Promised places contain natural barriers because the next level is designed to keep you out. And, and so there's this, this barrier that's protecting them from the promise that's beyond the walls. And you know the story. God gives them a strategy. They march around the walls seven times. They shout, blow a trumpet. And the walls and the giants on top of the walls came crumbling all the way down. And it was a great victory. And it was powerful. And it was beautiful. And then came a very disconcerting word from God. Jericho was special to God. God was giving his people a country full of cities. But he told them this, this first city, Jericho, I want you to give it to me. I don't want you to take any of the gold or the silver or the, the wealth or the clothes or any of the the strength of the city. What I want you to do is I want you to put everything in the city, all the goods, and I want you to set it on fire as a burnt offering to me. And this is a gut-wrenching instruction from God because these people have been wandering around for the last 40 years in the wilderness, living in tents, carrying their water from the last watering hole and, and trusting God for their provision with manna in the morning and quail in the evening. And now these people who have been vagabonds finally have a city. They got aqueducts. They got a market. They got, you know, stone houses that they could move into. And it's hard to give God the first of something when you've been going without a long time. And yet Joshua pulls the people together and he said, listen, God's given us a country. He's going to fight our battles. He's going to lead us. He's going to protect us. It doesn't matter how strong the armies are, how big the giants are. Everywhere we go, God's going to give it to us. But this is what he's asking. He's asking for us to give him this city. And the people didn't like it, but they obeyed. All of the people obeyed except for this guy named Achan. There's always one. There's one in every church. There's one in every family, you know, just Uncle Achan. 
and he, he's walking through, and he's heard the instruction. He's heard everybody get on board with it, but he notices some gold, some silver, some Babylonian garments, and some little trinkets that were used in idol worship. What, what God had called all of the stuff in Jericho, God called the accursed thing, and it wasn't that the stuff was cursed, it would become a cursed thing if anybody touched it because it belonged to God. And, and Achan is walking through and he just thinks to himself, look, I've been in the wilderness with dust in my eyes and boogers in my nose for 40 years suffering in the heat, no money, no wealth, no nice clothes. I'm, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass me by. Who knows when the next opportunity will come. I'm not going to rely on God or listen to what Josh is saying. I'm going to go and just take a few of these things for me because somebody's got to look out for me. And the problem is when you don't have faith that God will do what he promised, It'll cause you to touch things and lay your hands on things that will eventually destroy you. And so, and so he justified it to himself. And then to take matters worse, it's not like he stood up and said, no, I don't agree with you. I'm taking this. Y'all don't have to if y'all don't want to, but I'm taking. No, he did it in secret. He operated in deceit. He lied to everybody about it. He made it seem like that he agreed with the challenge. He said amen to Joshua. He made it seem like he agreed with the word. And then he went around and did something deceitful that put all of the people in a position that God was angry with them. The text we read said the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And that always bothered me. It didn't say the anger of the Lord burned against Achan. It said the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And the problem with that is, like it or not, at some level, we are all connected. I know we don't like to be responsible for each other. That goes back to the beginning where Cain told God, am I my brother's keeper? I'm not responsible for my brother. It goes all the way back to the beginning when Adam and Eve started blaming each other and the devil for the reason that they committed a sin. But the problem with that is at some level or another, we are all connected and it gets deeper as you go further into the fibers of family and community. What you do does affect every member of your family. Like it or not, agree with it or not, stand up and throw your shoes at me if you want to. But when you mess up and decide to go down the rabbit hole and decide to live crazy, you are affecting not only your whole family tree, but you're infecting your bloodline and those that come after you. You're adding things to the family crest. You're adding things to the family name name. You're adding things that will replicate themselves in generations unborn yet to time. And, and Achan takes it and, and he doesn't tell anybody. And so the next city is Ai. Ai is a little city, no walls, small army. So Joshua in verses two through five, uh, he sends spies. The spies come back 
say, look, we've been on a long journey. We just had a rough battle at Jericho. Uh, I wouldn't send the whole army. I'd send about two or 3,000 people to go up and deal with AI. They ain't about much. They ain't got much. Take us a couple hours. We'll have that. And Joshua was hungry. He's hungry for a win that he could celebrate. Okay. He got a win at Jericho, but it wasn't a win that he could eat. It was a win he had to give back to God. And, and for his own political power and his own leadership reasons, he needs a win. Remember, he's still, he's not a young man, but he's young in leadership. He needs to put some skins on the wall. He needs a trophy. He needs to see everybody walking around fat and happy with a chicken leg in their hand because they're, they're eating the spoils and enjoying the results of a military conquest that he led them on. So he sends, he doesn't send 2,000 like they initially suggest. He wants to make sure this is a W, so he sends 3,000 men to AI. And he's sitting back, and he's waiting on them to come back with a report of a beautiful victory. And all of a sudden, what he hears is cries and moans. And his generals come back bruised and bleeding, carrying 36 dead bodies with them. And they begin to tell Joshua how the men of Ai not only beat them, but they chased them all the way back to their camp, whipping them all the way back home. I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but it's one thing to lose a fight. It's another thing for that joker to follow you all the way home and beat you every step of the way. That's what Ai did to Joshua and his army and and worse than the 36 men that they lost, and worse than the fact that they lost a battle, was that when the army came back and told the people what happened, the Bible says the whole community lost heart. At the end of verse 5, it says, therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. In other words, this loss went deep until their psyche. It went deep into their mind. It went deep into their soul. And it removed all of the courage from them. And you have to be careful with losses. I want you to hear something. Losing is more impactful on your psyche than winning is. You can win and, and love it, be happy, enjoy it, but you'll get over that win real quick. The thrill of the win will fade. But if you have a tough loss, a tough loss can stay with you for years. A tough loss can stay with you for decades because losses are more impactful than wins. And they had watched the walls of Jericho fall. They had seen the giants be slain. And yet one loss causes them to completely lose heart. And not just the people. Joshua, the leader, lost heart. Verse 6 said he just tore all of his clothes off. I don't know when the last time you've had a fit was. Anybody had a, have a, 
Anybody had a fit lately, you know? You just go into a fit, you know? It's not just kids that throw fits. There are times adults just throw fits, go absolutely crazy, start throwing stuff in the kitchen, rip all the doors off the cabinets, you know, kick the wall, kick the cat, urinate in the fish tank, just do all kind of stuff, just throwing a fit. Joshua starts throwing a fit. Bible says he ripped all of his clothes off, got on the floor, the dirt, and started pouring dirt on his head. And the Bible says that when all of his elders and leaders saw it, they did it too. Here's the painful part about leadership, whether you're leading a company, leading a family, a leader in your community, leading a team at work. Here's the painful part about leadership. You're always modeling even when you don't want to be. You're always teaching, even when you're not trying to. You're always showing your team and those around you or your family or whatever it is, you're always showing them how to respond, how, how to respond to wins and how to respond to losses. And Joshua, at this stage of his leadership, at this embryonic moment of his leadership development, he hasn't, he hasn't learned to take an L. Some people just can't take an L. And, and he, he's crushed and he, he starts praying and, and, and screaming to God. And verse seven, he said, alas, Lord, why have you brought us over this Jordan at all? In other words, it would have been better if you didn't part the sea for us. It would have been better if you never led us to this place if we were just going to be led here to lose. And, and the hardest time to lead is during losses. I'm going to say it again. Leading a family, leading a business, in a church, in a community. The hardest time to lead is when everybody you're leading has to watch you lose and it hurts. And this loss is affecting Joshua's identity because he has identified himself and labeled himself as a winner. What does a winner do when he loses? If that's all you've built your identity around, you break down. So filled with pain and pressure. He goes to God in prayer and he says in that verse seven, why'd you even, why'd you even bring us over here at all? And in that part of the prayer, he's questioning God's purpose. Are you even really with us? Are you even really God with us? Are we even really your people? Have you ever had a loss that made you question your very purpose? I know we don't like to talk about it, but have you ever had a loss that hit you so hard and hurt you so bad you started questioning everything as it pertains to the direction of your life, where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I in this industry? Why did I marry him? Why did you? He's allowed a failure to go so deep in his heart, he's forgotten who he is, and he's doubting who God is. Now, he knows, because he can't deny, he knows that God has brought them this far. And he knows God said to possess the land. 
What's bothering, what's bothering him is he doesn't know why he lost along the way. You got to be careful with that because losses that you cannot explain will torment you. If I'm going to lose, I at least want to know why after I lose. I don't mind taking the pain of a loss if I can know why I lost. Because if I know why I lost, I can go back and I can build upon that area of weakness that caused me to lose and I'll be better the next time. That, that better the next time helps me cope and deal with the emotional struggle of losing. But when I don't know why I lost, when I can't explain how it fell apart, now there is no coping mechanism for, for me to build upon and strengthen myself as I prepare to go at it again. And that's what Joshua was dealing with. And, and in that torment and that frustration, he goes to God and it's an ugly prayer. It's a theologically broken prayer. It's not a prayer that you would write a prayer book on. It's not a prayer of faith. It's, it's not a prayer of power. It's not a prayer of hope. It's, it's much less of a prayer and much more of a whining session. But what I love about the text is the Bible tells us what he prayed and how he prayed it and then lets us know that God answered. And what I love about God is he is not intimidated by your weaknesses. He's not intimidated by your brokenness. He's not intimidated by the fact that you didn't know the way to come right. You didn't know the way to approach him right. You didn't know the way to pray right. God still listens to broken prayers. And that's reason enough for us to give him thanks and glory. Because if you're real honest, all of your prayers ain't been right. All of your prayers ain't been proper. All of your attitudes and positions of your heart haven't always been pure when you've gone to God. There's sometimes God should just tell us to shut up, go out and come back and try again. And yet he still listens to and answers broken prayers. So Joshua prays a weak, vulnerable, broken prayer, and God still heard it. And in, and in verse 9 and 10, while he's wallowing around, I mean, I hope you see him in your mind. I hope you can close your eyes and see a grown man, tore all his clothes off, lays down in the dirt, pours dirt on his head, and is screaming and crying to God. And I, and I love it because the, the first word God says is he says, get up. Get up. Now, when I used to preach this, I imagined it like a, a parent in a grocery store, store aisle. The kid's walking behind them, sees a toy, wants a toy. Parent says no. Kid throws a fit, falls out on the floor. And the parent says, get up. Get up. About to kill you in public. Get. You know how your parents can cuss you out with their eyes, you know, when you're in public and you can't scream, you know, there's this look. Y'all acting like y'all don't know about the look. What in the world? 
but it's not that. I thought it was that, but it's not that. You got to remember that this is not encouragement or a strong correction of admonition. Get up. This is the almighty God who built this world without a hammer or nails, without a rake or a shovel. He built this world out of his mouth. He spoke his word and light began to shine. He spoke his word and grass began to grow. He spoke his word and birds began to fly. He spoke his word and everything that we see began to manifest into existence because of the spoken word of God. It is that God who once again is opening up that same mouth and looking at a man who is low. He's low in his mind. He's low in his emotions. He's low in his view of himself. Low self-esteem. And God looks at him and with the authority of his word, God says, get up. In other words, I command everything in your mind, everything in your mental health, everything in your soul, all of your energy levels, all of your chemical levels, all of the things that are low in you, I command you in this moment to get up. Because God wants to speak a word to Joshua. God wants to show him why he lost. God wants to solve the problem. But he can't solve the problem until he solves the position. You will never get the answer you're seeking while you're wallowing on the floor with a low view of yourself. You will never get the breakthrough that you're needing while you're laying on the ground with dirt on your head crying in your depression. You have to be able to hear the word of the Lord that says to you, get up. Because you cannot receive the answer until the position changes. So I came to have that conversation with whoever in the world you are in this room, dragging me through this word. I came to be obedient to your father in heaven and mine and tell everything from the top of your head to the sole of your feet that is low. You took that loss too hard. You took that loss to heart. You took that loss like an arrow to your soul and it's affecting the way you're living your life. You can't do healthy relationships now because of a loss back then. You can't do healthy finances now because of a loss back then. You can't even dream healthy right now because of a loss back then. And you've been wallowing on the ground in life with dirt on your head, living far beneath the privilege and the purpose that God destined you for. So God in heaven ordered your steps to 6633 Walsham Road this morning. And he thumped me on my head, kept me alive and kept me strong to come in here and tell you what he said. God, your father who knows the end from the beginning. God, your father who knows all of your story sent me here to tell you no matter what you lost, no matter what you've been through, and no matter how low you are right now, God said for you to get yourself up all the way Push somebody, say all the way up. Push somebody else, say all the way up. When he gets up, I feel that all the way up. Up in my mind, up 
in my soul, up in my communication, up in my expectation. I'm tired of getting up out of bed every morning, walking around like nothing's going to happen. I'm tired of living in a cycle of depression and doubt, doom and gloom. If God wants me to get up, I am getting And then God does something that's unique to the God class. God begins to reveal to him why he lost. God's the only one that can time travel. And go back to the actual moment. The therapist or the counselor will try to take you back to the moments of your trauma. But the problem is they're only relying on your input and your interpretation of the situation. There's, there's gaps, there's holes, there's, there's, there's limited information there. So the best the counselor can do is speculate as to why you lost, why you lost your mental health, why you lost your ability to communicate. Why you lost your business, why you lost the house, why you lost the car, why you lost. The best the therapist can do is speculate, but God can actually go back to the moment and reveal to you exactly why you lost what you lost. So God takes Joshua back and he says, Josh, you lost. Because there's sin in the camp. Let me say it like this. You lost because somebody pretending to be for you. Somebody pretending to be with you has been sabotaging you without you knowing it. You lost because somebody you've been feeding, somebody you've been defending, somebody you've been protecting is actually an assassin with their own selfish motives and desires. And, and Josh, I had to let you take an L on this one because if I would have let you win, you would have kept going not knowing there's an infection in the body that desperately needs to be cut out. So I didn't let you lose because I don't love you. And I didn't let you lose so you would be devastated and doubt yourself. And I didn't let you lose because I'm mean or I'm angry. I let you lose because you got something connected to you that's killing you and you don't even know about it. Joshua. It's a hard point. I'm sorry. And uh, also Joshua. You're blowing this out of proportion. Not to insult your pain or your delicate sensibilities. And not to seem like I'm not a safe space. But I just want to tell you, you let the loss get all down in your emotions and muddy your thinking. And you're blowing this way out of proportion. 
you sent 3,000 men. You lost 36. You tore all your clothes off, poured dirt on your head, and you're questioning me over a 1% loss. And the reason you're so quiet is because you do it too. As good as God has been to you, all of the ways that he has made, all of the waters that he's parted, all the walls he made come all the way down for you, all of the giants that he helped you walk over. Some of you, I don't even have to preach it. You know you wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for the kindness and faithfulness and power of God. And yet you go through a 1% loss. What's going on, God? I mean, I paid my tithe. What's going on? Freaking out. When if you look back over your life and you compare the wins that God has given you to the losses that you've endured, You'll find out you got a winning record. You'll find out you're doing a whole lot better than you're acting like. And you let the loss confuse you. You let the loss muddy your mind. Truth is, you got beside yourself and had the nerve to be ungrateful. There's going to be wins in this life. And there's going to be some losses. But if you check your record, I bet you'll say, God's been better to me than I've been to my own self. He's been better to me than my mama. He's been better to me than my daddy. He's been better to me than my president. He's been better to me than my governor. He's been better to me than my community. And, 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 and what I'm trying to tell you is you're blowing this out of proportion. Wanting to quit on your marriage. It's about 1% loss. We just ain't communicating like we used to. in your kids stuff speaking stuff over their life out of anger freaking out tearing the house up breaking your own stuff Josh I didn't do this to hurt you. But if you don't get that mess out of your life, if you don't disconnect 
from that unlawful connection, the percentage will go drastically up. And God begins to take him through and reveal to him what he was too blind to see in his own intuition and discernment. And I want to tell those of you that have lost, I want to tell you, Jesus promised in John 15, verses 1 and 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, my father, the gardener, he cuts it off. Cuts it off. Every branch that does bear fruit, watch it, he prunes it. He prunes it. In other words, it's a branch full of fruit. And he will come and cut the good fruit away. Pruning feels like stabbing. When God is trying to cure you, it feels like he's killing you. Especially when you're underdeveloped emotionally and you don't know how to take an L. But look at the reasoning he gives. He doesn't prune it because he's mean. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Joshua, I took you through a loss so that on the other side of this, you can be more powerful. You can be more victorious. You can receive what I've got planned for you. Because Joshua, you don't have the capacity to take what I have in store for you with this curse around your neck. And because so much increase is coming, you don't hear what I'm saying. I said because so much increase is coming. I let you go through this setback, this loss, this cutback to make sure that when the increase does come, that the whole field of harvest isn't wasted because you got somebody in the tent with you that is trying to sabotage your success. So I loved you enough. I cared for you enough. I thought about you enough. I understood you enough to let you get cut. I understood you enough to let you get bruised. I understood you enough to let you doubt yourself. I understood you enough to let you go through a season where you weren't confident in your identity. I understood you enough to let you go through some valleys. I understood you enough to let you go through some things that you didn't understand. But now I'm telling you why. All of you that have been talking crazy to your father, today he's telling you why. I took you through it so that you would get the poison out. I took you through it so that you would get the infection out. I took you through it so that you would get that thing that would keep you blocked in your future out of your life. So for God's sake, Get up and understand that this is a good loss. It's a good, it's a good loss. Anytime God leads you into losing, listen to me, because I'm done. Anytime God leads you into losing, 
it's only because he has more prepared for you than you even understood. If God ever gets out the pruning shears, it means he's got more destined for you than you even expected. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think according to the power which dwells in us. Unto him belong the pruning shears. Unto him belongs the job of ordering our steps sometimes into trouble, sometimes into pain, sometimes into losses, sometimes into dry seasons. But if God ever allows you to lose something, it's only because he's going to replace it with something better. I want to talk to people that lost their car. Better is coming. I want to talk to people that lost their job. Better is coming. I want to talk to people that have lost relationships with loved ones. Better is coming. I want to talk to people that have lost your self-esteem, lost your confidence, lost your swag, lost your walk. Don't even talk how you used to talk. God sent me here to tell you that better is it is coming if if you'll pay attention and 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 get out from among you the things that God wants you to remove and, and I have four quick takeaway points from the sermon because I don't want to have to preach it again this year I hope you getting it I'm gonna try to drill it into you takeaway point number one losses don't change God's purpose That's heavy because that's what we always think you know you feel like you're on the road from point a to point b and you feel like point b is god's purpose for your life right that's your destiny that's where you're supposed to end up you go through the painful loss and where does your mind go i'm not gonna get there now i'm not gonna get there now i'm not gonna get there now and then you start making excuses. You know, I would have been there by now, but I would have been further along. I would have started the business. I would have got married. I would have, but I had this loss. And what you're really saying when you communicate that is, and the loss I had stole my purpose. And some of you sitting there this morning, you still think that the loss you went through stole your purpose. But I want to remind you, God doesn't need anything you lost in order to bless you. And when God has purposed you to arrive at a certain destination, he took into account all of the losses along the way. If your purpose is in the hands of God, you can't lose enough things, you can't lose enough opportunities, and you can't lose enough people to cancel out the purpose God has in your life. In fact, sometimes people will tell you, if you lose me, you're going to lose it all. If you lose me, you're going to lose your destination. If you lose me, you're going to lose your future. My future ain't in your hands. Kiss them goodbye. Your purpose is in the hands of God and no loss can. So, so losses don't change God's purpose for your life. Number two, losses reveal or they're supposed to unless you just are willfully dense. Losses reveal hidden attacks and attachments. Yeah. Losses reveal hidden attacks and attachments. There's some stuff you're attached to. 
It's not, it's not, oh, hear me prophetically. There's some stuff you're attached to. It's not that it's a sin. It's that it's of the devil. It's demonic in nature. Okay. All your little statues and stuff. You got to be careful with that stuff. Some of your jewelry and some of those things, you better research the origins of it. Not all jewelry has that, but there's some jewelry that's used in occult worship. Some of that stuff on your kids' streaming devices and on your TV and movies, certain things you watch. It's not that it's a sin. It's of the devil. It's demon worship. Okay. See, that's what, it sounds harsh that God caused the people to lose and 36 people to die because of what Achan did. But see, it wasn't that what Achan did was just a sin. He was preparing, the commentaries say, he was preparing to use some of those artifacts to try to get prayers through. He was trying to manipulate the spiritual world. He was entering into the occult. Okay. God, God has given grace for sin. God does not tolerate partnership with the demonic world. Does not tolerate it. So all you Christians that like to go to palm readers, it's demonic. All you Christians that like to go to spiritual mediums and conjure up your grandparents, it's demonic. It's from the demonic world. All you Christians that like astrology and tarot cards and reading your horoscope, yeah, I said it, get mad. There's four exits in the building in the back. Leave if you want to. I said it's demonic. And it may be the reason you're not winning. It may be the reason that the blessing of God is not knocking all of your enemies away. Losses make you tender enough to look at stuff you've loved in the past and say, hmm, do you share my values? Do you share my faith? Do you share my belief system? Or are you saying one thing to me and going behind my back and playing with the devil? But see, you don't get, you don't get in that mind frame normally. Losses have to push you to that mind frame. You don't start looking through every tent in your life try, trying to discover the occur. You don't, you don't do that uh, until you go through a painful enough loss. Painful enough loss will make you start your prayer life back up again. Oh, it's quiet in the church this morning. Painful enough loss will make you start tithing again, even if you can't get your nails done or go to the movies or do whatever. Painful enough loss will make you start coming to church on Wednesday night. Painful enough loss will make you start reading the word of God again and not be so bored this time. A painful enough loss. Number three. Oh, I want to shout and throw this microphone on this one. Listen. Losses are limited by God's grace. All this is from the text, okay? All this is from the text. God wanted to let Joshua know, uh, you only lost 36. You only lost 1%. In other words, it could have been a lot more. 
And as I look back over my life at my losses, I have the same confession about every single one of them. You know what? You want to know the truth? It could have and should have been a lot more. It should have been a lot more. It should have been a lot more. Stole your wallet. They didn't steal your car. Stole your car. They didn't steal your identity. Stole your identity. They didn't steal your baby. And traffic them. There's always the possibility in our losses that it could have been so much. And the reason it wasn't is every one of your losses has been limited by God's amazing grace. When you deserve to lose more, God didn't let you. When you should have lost more, when it would have been right and reputable for you to lose more, God's grace said, no, 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 that's enough. And I just dare you to go back in your mind for just a second and think back at the big losses in your life and how painful they were. If you don't mind visiting that place and let me say something that might sound insensitive, it should have been a whole lot worse. It should have been a whole lot worse. It should have been a whole lot worse. God has been good to you. So you didn't get what you wanted. You didn't get what you hoped for. The outcome wasn't what you expected. But what you've never thought about is what the enemy intended to do to you in that season. What you never thought about is what the enemy planned to do. What you never thought about is what weapons were formed against you and how many of them God shut totally down. And in fact, he only let the ones get through that he could turn a lesson into and that he could bring you health from the wound. It's why the scripture says faithful are the wounds of a friend. That God loves you enough sometimes he'll let you be pruned, cut back, suffer losses and hurt. So that the scripture can be fulfilled. He makes all things work together for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And I know some of you are still bleeding from the cut, suffering from the loss, reeling on the inside, dealing with what you felt that you couldn't lose or that you shouldn't lose. But God sent me here to tell you it's going to work for your I don't know what section you're in, what seat you're in. I wish I could have spared everybody else this and just told it straight to you. But God sent me to tell you, whoever you are, it's going to work for your good. And finally, and finally, number four, and I mean this one. This ain't a, an encouragement throw in just at the end. This is something God told me to tell you. Losses are a sign that increase is coming. Losses are a guaranteed sign that increase is coming. 
And that's what I speak over your life. It's the last thing I came to tell you. It's the last word God gave me to give to you. Increase is coming to your life. If you lost and it hurt, if you lost and it made you question yourself, if you lost and it made you throw your purpose and everything up in the air wondering where God was and why this was happening, God wanted me to tell you, increase is coming to your life in the name of Jesus. If you receive that word, get on your feet, give the Lord a hand, clap of praise all over the house. You are working all things for my good. Yeah. All things for my good. When I cannot see it, God, I still believe it. You are working all things for my good. Lift your hands up, close your eyes, listen. Just listen to it. Listen, listen, shh. Your father's saying, I am working all things for your good. Just listen. All things for your good. And when you cannot see it, child, still believe it. I am working all things for your good but it hurts so bad everything's broken I don't know what I'm going to do now I lost what I didn't think I could lose I lost someone I didn't think I could lose he still said I am working all things for your good I am working all things for your good. And when you cannot see it, my child still believe it. I am working all things for your good. Sometimes God doesn't mind. He really doesn't. Sometimes God doesn't mind making me look like a fool to do his will. And what I heard him say to me is to sing you a lullaby like a father sings his child when they're upset, crying, and don't want to go to sleep. And I don't want to do it. I got my dignity, but I'm obedient to his voice. So whoever needs Daddy God to sing you a lullaby, hear it in your ears. I am working all things for your good listen i am working all things for your good and when you cannot see my 
my child still believed I am working all things for your good crying in your grief over burying that loved one I am working all things for your good I am working all things for your good and when you cannot see it my child still believe it as I am working all things for your good if you could sense and feel the love your father has for you in this moment it would blow your mind hasn't left you he hasn't forsaken you he hasn't forgotten you you hadn't seen this right you haven't been processing this right you haven't been understanding this right you're cursing a season God brought you into by his grace you're cursing a season where where your eyes have not been able to see he's been defending you every step of the way thinking about you all the time looking after you even when you don't look to him and one more time on Father's Day you forgot to sing to him this morning he sent a song to you it's scriptural you know Zephaniah says he rejoices over us with singing and that's what he's saying to you in the form of a little simple song I am working all things for your good I'm still working all things for your good and when you cannot see it my child still believe I am working all things for your good now I bless you in the name of Jesus I speak grace over your life health over your circumstance health into your body increase over your finances wholeness to your mind and your soul and I speak that the truth of the word of God spoken into your spirit today would begin to bear fruit and that you would understand it was just a good loss it was just a good loss and God I'm going to trust you with this I'm going to trust you with this because I believe that increase is coming. I believe you wouldn't have pruned the branch unless you intended for it to be more fruitful. So I receive the fruitfulness now. I receive the grace now. I receive the comfort now. I receive the healing now. I receive the confidence now. I receive the faith now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lift up your worship all over the room. Lift up your worship all over the room.